You're listening to the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. No nonsense, just a crazy mix of life, business, the funny, and of course we're going to talk about your money. But just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. I am your host, the one, the only Brian Haney, and I have the one and only Donnie Smith here with me who's about to blow our minds when it comes to this whole talent war conversation. But before we do that, first of all, thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to have you. Thank you. That was, that was a big introduction, so I hope I can live up to that. <laughs> thank you for asking me. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, gee, it's Monday, right? So Monday, fun day. Yes, yes, yes. We're ready for a great week. March Madness, basketball, there's lots of good things happening in the month of March. Awesome. And, and my, my, one of my favorite holidays is right around the corner, St. Patrick's Day. So got to go green. Yes, yes, yes. So, so it's interesting. Um, I'm going to be 50 this year. And so are all of my friends. So we have this commitment of celebrating each person's birthday. So um, uh, my very good friend, my dearest friend, she turns 50 on the 17th. So I have the 17th and the following Monday off and we're doing like a big weekend. So like I said, March is the start of a lot of really good things for 2023 for me. Awesome. I love it. Pass along my, my sincerest birthday wishes. And uh, since we're connected in the LinkedIn verse and all that, you may see a few pictures of my outfits <laughs> that are that are notoriously uh, colorful for the occasion. So gotcha, it's going to gotcha. be a lot of fun. We look out for it. <laughs> well, you know what? So the first four questions are notoriously the hardest ones to answer. So I like to get them out of the way first because then, you know, it's all done from there. So I want to start with what is the top place on your bucket list that you have yet to visit, but really want to go to? Uh, Haiti, which might sound very surprising. But so Donnie Smith is, uh, you know, Smith is my married name. So um, my family's from Haiti, um, both of my parents. Um, and so my name is actually Donnie Bujoli Smith. And um, I have never been to Haiti. Um, my, you know, my parents came in the very uh, late 60s. They, they met here in the United States and got married. Um, and every time we tried to go, there was sort of like, you know, war, famine, <laughs> uh, you know, some type of crisis. You know, Haiti's been through a lot. So it's a, you know, just a real goal of mine to be able to see the country where my parents grew up. And to kind of connect with my culture in in a way that I just haven't been able to. And it's just hard to kind of think about that, knowing that I'm about to be 50. Wow, that's awesome. I very much identify with that because I'm a dual citizen of of Ireland with not not nearly the same kind of of path, but that connection, like the connection to your family, to your roots, to your heritage. I mean, I think it's awesome. And and everyone, I I, I hope everyone that has that kind of connection can explore their their heritage. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, I, I then I look forward to hearing about that trip once you take it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I've got to figure it out because I think I would like for it to be a little bit historical, get a perspective to be able to get to my, my parents are from the southern part of Haiti, which is called Lakai. And that was the one that just had most recently was impacted by the, the hurricane last year. Um, and but so I'd like for the trip to be a combination of like service, but also, you know, just getting that historical perspective. I come from a very small family. Um, which is not true of a lot of Caribbean people. We tend to have larger families, but um, I don't really have any family members left. So it, it would really kind of be 
a lot to navigate, um, you know, without having the benefit of like an aunt or uncle or a cousin to go with me. So we're trying to figure out how to make that happen. That's awesome. Yeah. Very, very excited for you. Thank you. Uh, and I'm sure it will come together. Thank you. All right. On, on, a, on a different note, what food will you not eat under any circumstances? How adventurous of an eater are you? Well, I'm Caribbean, so we eat a lot of things, right? Um, but honestly, my my real answer is beets. And I know that sounds like super childish, but I have been lying about the fact that I'm allergic um, to beets since I was about seven. Um, I actually have it listed down as an allergy, <laughs> like with all of my healthcare providers. And uh, I, I had surgery last year and my mom happened to be looking at... Um, uh, at what I had listed, because I am actually, in fact, you know, allergic to penicillin. And so it like literally says like penicillin, then beets. And my mom's like, why are you lying <laughs> to your doctor? And I'm like, I am. I am. I just, I find it so repulsive for some reason. And I hear that I'm completely missing the boat and all of that, but I just, I, I can't do it. Uh, hey, that's a committed statement right there. I mean, you are, you are full on, this is not entering my body voluntarily. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, I, I need to grow up and, and try it. I mean, because honestly, you know, aside from that, because like I said, it is literally on my healthcare records um, as a lie. Um, um, I would say like anything like intestine related, like um, is a big no for me. Okay. It's always fun to hear the stories, especially those that are the most emphatic, because I think that there's always something connected to that. Right. That's just right. like, it's a good question that comes with zero judgment. Yeah, right. <laughs> now you're, you're a bit more of an adventurous eater. Or are you kind of like, you just kind of go for it? I draw the line at um, insects. Okay. I know that there is a, a a a room for that as as someone's in someone's palate, and and I that's the line for me. Like if it was an insect, it's not going in this. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty pretty open minded in just about every other area, but yeah, I draw the line at insects for myself. That's that, that's fair. I, I don't think I've ever met a bug that I want to eat, so <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know what? I I that I love that. I'm going to steal that from now on. Yeah, I, I agree with that statement. Yeah. Right, right. Cool. <laughs> All right. Now, if you were a musician and could start a band, what would the name of your band be? So I am one of those people that I always say that, like, I kind of lack talent, right? Like, I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't play an instrument. I talk a lot. I speak very well um, and often. Um, but in... In high school, I had two good friends. Um, one was a drummer, one was a guitar player, and they really needed a bassist. So they, I like literally sold, like I like cleared out my little savings account. I went and bought a bass guitar. Really, I just liked this, these, like one of the boys that was, I liked the drummer. And so our group was called Boysenberry Jam. And um, I stick by that. We thought it was a great name. I took two lessons um, and could not support support it. My parents were like, absolutely not. Um, and so I had to return it and get my money back. And um, Boysenberry Jam uh, never got to really be. So if I ever was given that opportunity, I would go back to that. I love it. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I, it's a great name. Way, <laughs> way more creative or better than any of the ones I've come up with for myself. So so what, what about you, though? Are you musically inclined? Is that is like a band in your future? Definitely not a band. I, I did sing a lot growing up. I uh, was in, you know, choir, baritones, a whole bunch of, of like the musical options that were available to me through school. I took full advantage of and I did enjoy that quite a bit, but 
kind of into college and then post-college, it's just, you know, now just, I guess, you know, singing in the car, embarrassing my family when I'm singing and they're like, please don't sing and yeah, yeah. You know, the usual stuff. Yeah. My husband is, is a musician in addition to like his day job. Um, and he, he's worked in the past with, you know, um, you know, just kids with a lot of um, disadvantages and things like that. And so the music um, really is therapy for him. That's what started. He was writing poetry and decided to put it to a song, took a couple, he's kind of self-taught with um, the guitar, took a couple lessons and it's, it really is like a healing experience for him. So I just enjoy the benefit of having that type of music, you know, throughout our household. Um, but um, I just, I, I don't have that talent, you know what I mean? That's not my thing, but I, I certainly love to see him and appreciate the kind of like the healing gift that is music, right? Absolutely. No, I, I, I yeah, couldn't agree more. And it's, actually, it's interesting. I think uh, in one of my association circles, uh, the, I know the executive that runs the um, music therapy association, because of course there's an association for everything and music as a, as a form of therapy is significant. And so that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's uh, you know, that it, is the funny thing though, right? There really is an association for everything. Oh, I've, I've, I've come across some, some interesting ones. A hundred percent. No, it's yes. <laughs> you never, we're not running out of them. And, and if there isn't one, we'll invent one. <laughs> yes. 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 Indeed. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Do they listen? You know, that's something I don't know. Do they have like mergers and acquisitions within the association space? They do. Okay. Yeah, at times. And, and I guess that's been an interesting trend to watch in the last, yeah. you know, few years through through the COVID dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it, it is it is as an industry one where, um, it, you know, everything when you're representing a group of people, whether it's based on an industry profession, whatever it is. You know, as 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 that profession or that kind of group changes, evolves, industry, you know, go through upheaval, whatever it is, it just it, it's interesting to kind of see how those things shake out. And also the biggest component is, you know, they say nonprofits. It doesn't mean you can't run the organization in a manner that's designed to be profit focused from a from a revenue standpoint. So sometimes that's the other part of it, which, you know, is true for both private and, and public alike. So. It's interesting. Besides this one, of course, everyone's favorite. What other podcast would you recommend to our audience that you've enjoyed lately? Yeah. So I I have two. Um, one is um, Quick Brain with Jim Quick. Have you ever heard of it? I it's have like, not. Uh, it sounds fascinating. Yeah. So it's Quick K W I K, um, and this is a, like a, the, all the podcasts are like fifteen to twenty minutes. And they're also, they're what he calls life-size brain hacks, right? So I struggle a lot of time with kind of managing my time, organization. Like I'm really good at it at work, right? In my professional life, but there's so much that I want to do in my personal life. Um, I have a four-year-old. It's a lot. And so I'm kind of always looking for that hack. So that mnemonic to help me kind of remember something and, and what have you, right? The other thing, and it's funny that I'm talking to a financial whiz, you might appreciate what I'm about to say. The other one is... Um, by Pat Flynn, you know, smart passive income, right? And, you know, a lot of us work full time, you know, we're not independently wealthy. Um, entrepreneurship is not necessarily for everyone. But what I do often find myself and my husband and I talking about this, right, which is that we got married a little bit later in life. I, I've already said a couple of times, I'm, I'm 49. And I have a four year old, he came into our lives during COVID, he's adopted, you know, I feel like we're really good at, like, earning money, we're not good at making money, right? Like taking what we earn and turning it into something else, something more and, and lasting and impactful. 
And I think, and so I started listening to smart passive income because I sort of felt like I'm not, I can't give up my day job. So how else can I make more money? Right. So that was sort of the starting point. And I just, you know, turned out really just enjoying listening to what other people have gotten themselves into. Yeah. I reflect on that a lot. Right. Just, um, I didn't have to think about it. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. You know, the, the basic advice I always got from my, you know, from my parents who, you know, were new to this country was, you know, save 20% of your paycheck, you know, and that's, and that's what they knew. Um, and so that's what I do, but I know that I should be doing more and I, and I do in some places, right. But it, it can certainly improve, right. If I don't want to have to work till I'm 70 or 72, right. And I need to not start thinking about college, um, which we thought we were out of the window of that. Right. Yeah, no. Well, so I love, I love both of those I, and I hadn't heard of them, but I know, um, I I'm involved with a, with a group, uh, called FinCon, which is just kind of a community of financial content creators. So I'll, I'll have to look in that community to see if, if, uh, the other one that you mentioned is, uh, somebody that's been participating. Cause it's, it's, there's so many, like, there's a lot of really great, um, you know, content things out there to encourage, like you were saying, you know, all of the, whether it's healthy money habits or encourage you to step out of your financial comfort zone and pursue other things. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of really good stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited that it speaks to you. And I'm also excited that like you were sharing, it, it helps you tap into, you know, maybe a part of yourself or a part of your life. That's, you know, you, nobody's really handed the blueprint for financial success at any point in your life. Like, you know, if you have a parent that had it down packed and maybe you got it, but I, I, you know, I talk to people from all walks of life and I haven't heard that story yet where I was like, yep, no, my parents just gave it to me. I just opened up the blue, you know, the playbook and have been executing and it's all been great. Like just we're, we're not really equipped in as advanced of a society as we live in. It's, it's, it's amazing how it's an area that still challenges a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, some people just know how to work until they can't and we're in a pension. Right. And we, and we know that that's not sustainable. Um, yep. It's just, it's just not going to be enough. No, well, and I don't, so I don't know if this is going to be a good parlay into the bigger part of our conversation. But before we start to get into some of the meatier things that I know we want to tackle, I want you to be able to tell our audience all about you. So what is, what is, what is the Donnie Smith story that, yeah, I know you've already shared some of it, but what's, what, what do you want people to know about what you do on a regular basis? Yeah. So I attended the University of Pennsylvania. I grew up in Massachusetts, you know, was going to school in Philly. And my big thought was that I was going to just like keep heading south, hit the Caribbean and retire. That was like my plan. And so I spent a good portion of my career in D.C. I started off in what I call the rag business. Right. So I was a buyer for at the time, Hex, it's now Macy's. Um, I learned a lot about financial planning and budgeting. Um, at, you know, at, the, at, a, at a corporate level, right? Like I, I just said, I, I could probably do better at home, but I'm really, really good at it at work. Um, and that translated going to work for a best practice um, consulting firm. And um, I got involved in HR there. So originally I was a sales executive selling HR best practices to, you know, chief executives of the HR space. And then we created a recruiting roundtable and I started selling to, you know, heads of recruiting. And then I ended up in HR for that for that company and specifically in recruiting. And so I loved it. Right. I, I, I mentioned that like my one kind of superpower is that I can talk a lot. <laughs> and um, and so I loved having those conversations. You know, I, I would say I probably have looked on to something close to like 15,000, you know, resumes in my lifetime. I can't even begin to think about how many interviews I've actually done. But I really enjoyed the space. I really enjoyed helping that business grow. And recruiting for me evolved into 
um, employment branding, it, um, employee engagement, really at the start of it. Now it's kind of a lot more common, but you know, when I was doing it, it wasn't as common, right? Companies were just starting to realize like, I need to have a brand when it comes to how I attract and retain um, people. And so that's how I, I got involved in that from like a programmatic perspective. Um, and then I really feel like I found a sweet spot when I started doing nonprofit and association recruiting. Since that time, I have my SHRM SCP. So that's the senior certified professional for um, an association, right? So for the Society of HR Management. Um, and I really in, enjoy having that. It really broadened my scope and my understanding of HR. It's, I say all the time, um, we're not order takers. We're not fully administrative. I believe that I've dedicated myself to a function that's extremely strategic. We have a strong and powerful voice at the table. And so as, as I continue to work and I have uh, enjoyed for several years now uh, to continue to provide um, recruitment services um, to associations, I also have expanded what I do and I work um, uh, in benefits um, for a municipality. Um, and so that has really, you know, enlarged my perspective as to like, what does talent attraction and retention really look like? Yeah, I mean, that's how we got connected. You were, you were super highly recommended by uh, a wonderful association professional. And so, yeah, I, I was really looking forward to this conversation. And, and in fact, I want to start where, with something that you just said, because it's something I feel like um, in our practice, in our space, or, or when our company's working with benefits, we have this kind of conversation, but I don't think we've we've stated it the way that you really just did, which is a brand. You know, what is that? To me, the, that fits in, like, what's the culture, but what's the ethos of an organization as you represent yourself out to a talent pool that you want to, you know, why, it's that why question, you know, why should I work here? Let's just, at, at a high level, when you're having that type of a conversation with an organization, how, how do you position it and how do you help an organization, especially an association, um, walk through that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I I find really interesting about association work is that you're almost always working with people who are like impact driven, right? Because otherwise you might go like in the corporate space and, you know, work for like a large company and, and to do what you do. So a lot of times associations really can distinguish themselves by their mission and attract people based who want to have that level of impact, whether it's you know, in the education um, space, um, you know, we talked about that, you know, there's all these kind of like very new and up and coming associations, you know, hey, like you may really have, you know, an interest in apple picking, you know, how do you, you know, how do you, there's an association for that, right? So I think being able to distinguish yourself in terms of your, your mission, but a lot of times, a lot of, most associations are not large, right? So culture matters. And, and this really holds true in this space when people say, you know, people don't leave jobs, they leave managers, right? So the ability to work for certain individuals or to work for certain associations really does matter and help to distinguish people in terms of, you know, that brand recognition, you know, this, this particular association in this space is known for doing high level work. And so I, I think, you know, that's kind of, you know, what I've, I've noticed. I would also say too, that this is a space that's very welcoming for women, right? To, to exceed and to reach the most senior level. I've been proud to say since uh, I've been working and recruiting with, you know, associations, I've hired quite a number of women 
And hands down, you know, they were the absolute best candidate for the job, you know, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like pandering, right? I mean, it was just really through, you know, going through the entire executive recruitment process that this person was identified as truly being the one to ascend. Because I really focus only on the C-suite, right? Like I almost only exclusively hire for CEOs and executive directors of associations. Occasionally I do like a CFO or COO, but it's mostly that top spot, right? Um, And still there's a struggle. Right. There's been a lot of times where I've had conversations with women candidates that feel like they never get to pass that deputy executive director, that number two slot. So um, but that still doesn't mean negate what I just said, which is that this is a space that is very welcoming for for women. It's a very welcoming for people of color in order to be able to have impact and leadership in longevity. Right. It's not just like short term or it's not just to say that you have that person. Right. I couldn't agree more. And I, I, and I'm glad that you, you pointed that out because I I think that that is understated that associations, A, as an industry are, you know, I think as an industry as a whole, certainly uh, a lot more diverse, a lot more inclusive, a lot more equitable. You just see that through and through um, large and small alike. I, I think that that's something that back to your point, you know, branding and helping an organization tell a more effective story for itself. So that way you're bringing in those amazing people out there. Uh, I think that that's definitely got to be part of it. And, and you've seen this, so we can talk about that. You know, you, you got like Glaster, you got a lot of, you know, websites that kind of, you know, pop the hood more effectively when it comes to the private sector, but that's not, you know, they, they don't necessarily have all that. You have to kind of be a certain size, I feel like, or, you know, so it, I think it's harder to create that story framework for an association at times. So what what are some of the things that I guess, you know, you, you're helping, if you're helping an association prepare for a search, how, how do they need to emphasize things that aren't obvious maybe in that, in that talent search to really talk about culture or talk about mission and talk about what it's like to be, you know, an, an integral part of this, you know, organization. Yeah. So I, I think your initial job description or job posting matters, right? I think people need to remember that job descriptions are marketing documents, right? Yeah. It's, it's a piece of marketing. It is not meant to have every single thing that this person might be responsible for. I always tell people when they hand me a job description like that, like, hey, this is really great for your onboarding and this is really great for performance management. This is not going to attract 25, 30, 50 talented senior executives. Nobody wants to read that. It doesn't feel special or different than any other thing because a lot of people just don't know how to write a job description. And again, I consider them posting. It's a marketing document, right? So I I challenge everybody to rewrite how they describe their organization, right? Um, Because it's, it's just a lot of them just tell me what they what they do, right? Uh, you know, we are ex profession. You know, we are ex association with X amount of organizations and members, and we've been around since you know whatever year, right? Instead of saying our impact, instead of saying how we've changed or how we've grown or um, what's unique to us as a culture, how we approach, you know, our business, right? Like it, it, it just has to be different. I believe firmly that um, these job postings, these marketing documents, need to include. You know, what does the first 100 days look like? What, what kind of exciting projects will you work on right away? Absolutely, you're probably going to have to manage a team. Absolutely, you're going to probably have to manage a budget, right? Like, these are things that are obvious. Tell me what's not obvious, right? And you and you put it down and you find a way to, to describe it in a way that gives a sense of the voice and the experience of that particular organization. 
And that's entirely possible and welcome. Yeah, sure. You have to include the bullets, right? You got to include the the must-haves, but you can also give it some color and some feeling to give people a sense as to what is it like to really work there. Wow. So so many good points, because you're right. I mean, it's it's storytelling, right? You want somebody to be able to visualize what it's like to be connected to and working in that organization. And I think I, I would have to you know, take a stab and guess at this, but the vast majority of people probably aren't making that decision of where do I want to work by going through all of those bullet points anyway and being like, oh yeah, I got this down. Like, that's just not how we, <laughs> it's yeah. usually, I, I, mean, I know it's definitely not how I go about it. Right. I mean, but you think about it, right? The average job seeker, they're going to probably put in uh, like in a search, a series of titles, maybe they might put in an industry, right? And so there's going to be a lot of things that return on that search. So depending on where you might even appear in that search, how do you make yourself different, right? If they're kind of going through, like, how do you make them stop, right? And and catch their eye. And so I often direct people, right? You know, we read things on our phone or we have some type of, you know, decent sized monitor. And, you know, from it's just like a standard marketing practice. You know, people read above the fold. You have to give them a reason to scroll, right? So, if, you know, job descriptions tend to be like a, a document that needs scrolling, but you have to give them a reason why. And so a lot of those things are just missing, right? Now there's going to be X amount of candidates that are actively in the job market and they're reading everything. But I I would posture that there are a lot of passive candidates that still do some of that just to see. And you want to attract those people, right? I think there's a there's a real play here for passive talent that, you know, like I, I'm not looking for a house, but I I, I gotta tell you, I like look for houses every couple of days. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's just a it's kind of like a habit. And so you want to just be able to kind of like kind of catch people in, in a different in a different sense, right? So, you know, I think the job description matters, right? I, I think organizations also have to have a clear perspective as to who they are in this post-COVID world, right? Um, and those considerations for the organization are different and, and challenging. And so I would say that, you know, candidates are really in a position of power right now. And so you have to be able to be okay, whatever your decision is, whether you've decided to stay fully remote, if you've gotten rid of your brick and mortar space, or if you've done the opposite and said like, hey, we're getting back to business, right? <laughs> I've got rent to pay and I need some bodies in this building. Totally understand, right? And I think there's just a way to say that, right? But you just have to be clear and honest as to who you are, you know, without giving candidates the impression that they can go through an interview process and the expectation as to where you work and how you work will be different than what's on that paper, right? Yeah. So you lie, <laughs> you know, and then say, hey, by the way, I absolutely expect you to be here five days a week that, you know, that posting was, you know, for, for somebody else, <laughs> you know, um, but that, you know, but having a perspective of who you are post COVID really does matter. No, absolutely. And I, it was interesting. This is one of those trends that's hard to quantify because there's a lot of macro level things going on, but it really macro level things don't tell the story. You get to distill it down to your organization and its place in the marketplace. And I was at an association, uh, little conference retreat uh, a week or two ago. And one of the things that we were all, so room full of association professionals and all that stuff, uh, looking at questions and kind of trying to decide which ones they wanted to tackle. And one of the ones was essentially, how do you, you know, how do you make your association as attractive as Google in terms of, you know, winning talent? And putting the word Google into that question was super provocative. And a lot of people reacted to it. And it was interesting. And, um, you know, I know it was an intentional usage in, in that question. And I think that it's one that kind of merits this understanding, right? That 
that it's not just market specific talent. You know, there's so, I mean, there's, frankly, if you talk to most association professionals, 99% of them would say, I didn't come out of college saying I wanted to go to work for an association. I fell into, you know, air quotes, associations. Like you just, you didn't land there initially, you found your way there. So if that's always been a part of that, you know, kind of the makeup of associations in general, then I feel like it's even more critical now to recognize that you are competing potentially alongside a Google or a major private employer. And, and especially since we've got a virtual economy, right? You, you're dealing with talent all over the country. And I just think that, you know, uh, or broadening our understanding as to what looks like, like you were talking about, to stand out to candidates, really probably, you know, we need to shake up a little bit of our, of our paradigm. Yeah. And, and I think people need to, to be cautious in statements like that. Just because you have a cool product doesn't mean you have a cool company, right? That's it doesn't right. Have to be, the, the two are not the same, right? Yes. Absolutely. Google, Amazon, places like that have amazing product and that's what they're known for. But you can do your own online research. They don't necessarily have the best reviews in terms of employment. That's right. They have virtual products, but they don't actually really enjoy having virtual staff. I, you know, I, I've, I've been at this for a little while. I've I had those conversations. I've actually interviewed <laughs> with some of these companies and I was really surprised. They didn't have the flexibility based on the company and culture they were building. They wanted to have the best virtual products, but ne- but wanted their people there. Now, if that's changed since COVID, I, I think that's them adapting. Um, and I And I think it's okay to just be yourself. Right. You don't have to be Google. Right. Because you're not going to be able to keep up with that. Um, That said, you can still improve on what you have and you can still take your culture and evolve it for where we are today. Um, So maybe before COVID, you didn't understand or see a need for, you know, um, uh, hybrid work or virtual work. And maybe now you really do. Right. Maybe getting rid of your brick and mortar space allows you to do more, allows you to hire more staff, allows you to grow in a way that you didn't anticipate. Or it's the opposite. Right. I need I need people back. How our culture is, we have to be together in order to really do the brainstorming and the ideation and the and the and the push forward to, to growth. And that's their that's their culture. Right. Um, and I think all things are, are okay as long as you're authentic about who you are. That way you can attract the right people to you, right? I've met people who don't like working from home at all. And then I also know people who have quit jobs that, you know, post-COVID that they've been with for years, 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 and years. And they quit because their employer wanted them to come back full time. And whereas they, you know, in the, they were in the D.C. area and they were so used to doing a 45, 50-minute commute each way. Yeah, they couldn't fathom that. And so this person literally quit her job so she could find a job that allowed her to work hybrid two minutes away, right? Two miles away, rather. And so, you know, again, candidates are really in a position of power um, in terms of really driving what they need for their lifestyle versus finding balance with like the impact of the work. Right. So I, I started off by saying I love that associations are so impact driven. But people have changed, right? You know, given work-life balance, giving mental health, sometimes people will give up a bit on impact and in- interest, like deep interest in the particular industry or association in order to do work that they like, but also have the lifestyle that they need. 
I'm glad that you made you made a bunch of really good points in there. And I think the, fir- the first one that stood out to me was that point about you have to tell your authentic story. And maybe that's part of where, you know, organizations and associations in particular are, are needing to just take some time, right? What, how, how do we tell the story that we are an employer of choice that you should be interested in authentically and, 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 and in a manner that's exciting and attractive and appealing and recognizing that talent can come from anywhere, right? It doesn't just have to, we don't, I think sometimes it's not even maybe just getting the story right. It's also realizing that, hey, you know, you can find talent outside this whole industry landscape. You, I mean, you can find great talented people from a lot of places. So just not that, you know, you have time to search through thousands of resumes with 80% of them don't fit, but just to be as open-minded about that as possible. But then I also like the point that you were talking about, and I think that this is another culture conversation that fits into that scenario of how do you value people for people? And how, how does that culture recognize that you don't live to work, you work to live? Yeah. And, we, and we want people to be able to feel like they're they're not just here doing the what of the job description, that there's also a why involved as well. Yeah. And, and we, we balance both parts of that. And I, and I think that that's something um, that we're seeing probably under the radar trends in, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'd be interested to, to know if you've seen either positive or negative, anything kind of, you know, they talk about all these silent quitters and this, you know, this kind of generation, people leaving and you're saying, yeah, certainly the the uh, the job hunters is in a much higher position of power. Mm-hmm. But what are some of those things that, you know, are harder to quantify, but probably really, really important to be doing right now when it comes to either attracting talent or maybe even taking good care of the talent that you already have? Yeah. And I think that's this is where benefits and culture intersect, right? You know, where I am with the municipality that I serve is that benefits here drives culture, you know, and I think this is somewhat true of association, right? But certain industries, right, um, have a legacy, right? They're older professionals, they're older, stodgy, they don't have a lot of great technology, right? And so there was, there's an issue of recruiting younger talent, right? Younger professionals. Prior to COVID, like almost everything I talked about with my clients had to do with how do we attract a younger membership? Right. Like we can't keep the, we can't even get them to join the association as a member, never mind actually work and dedicate their career in this space. It was tough. Right. But they started to excel when the when recruiting started happening. Right. They started to excel because they knew how to use technology. So we went from having, you know, we're back to in-person stuff, but everything was done virtually. And there were a lot of people who were established, known within their their industry and their craft as leaders that could not make that transition to Zoom and Teams and WebEx and all that, right? It's, you know, it's three years of like, hey, uh, you're on mute, you're on mute, right? (laughs) um, And, you know, I often, you know, think about it as like, um, you know, I really think about it as digital acumen, right? In in the course of an hour, I can be on Zooms, I can chat on Teams, texting, you know, uh, the people that I work with, right? You have to be able to do all that and keep track of it. But it is a different type of talent to be able to lead, train, influence using virtual platforms, right? And there were a lot Absolutely. of- There just were a lot of people that couldn't make that transition. Now, I won't get into it because this is like a sidebar conversation. There's a, There was a lot of disparity in that, right? Your CEO's home office looks really different than, you know, your, you know, your association executive's you know, uh, specialists is like kitchen table, 
right? So there was a lot of weird dynamics there that I think, you know, we've kind of moved past, but I, I really felt that younger professionals wanted to now say, I want impact work. And so they started to look to association and nonprofits that actually had to welcome them because they had a skill set that they desperately needed. Now, that said, we're three years into this, right? And so I would say that let's let's give our, you know, our oldies but goodies some credit, right? They they've they've now started to make that leap. And so I, I think the conversation and and that that talent war is a little bit more balanced. It's not just like one way or another, but there was a period of time where you needed somebody, regardless of age and background, who could use digital tools well. well. Yes. And, and and it really made a difference in the experience for your for your for your membership, how they, you know, connected. You know, like just think about it. You know, a lot of times, you know, it started off like a lot of these virtual conferences and webinars were free. And then like we need to get back to making some money. Right. And so now these virtual um, conferences are the cost of going in person. I want my money's worth. Right. And so oh, yeah. I want I want to have that same level of dynamic interaction and education as if I, if I were actually physically in the room, right? So you have to be able to earn that conference free. And, you know, so much of the association space is built on our, you know, on our education platforms, right? Our certifications, our conference, right? And so, you know, that that's a real skill set that anybody has to have now. And that's a real shift that you see, you know, so that other part of that whole marketing do- document, right, that we were talking about that job hosting, isn't just selling yourself on who you are as a company and a culture, Um, but also relaxing some of these stringent rules, right? Like there's always like this meme of, you know, this person needs 10 to 15 years experience and this and that. I mean, like, my God, some of these tools haven't been around that long. You cannot have that as a requirement. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm like, like a lot of times I'm handing things back to my clients. Like this is not real. Like I can't find this candidate. Nobody has 15 years of experience in this, right? So they, they, you know, it really did see that shift, right? In terms of, not required, but preferred, you know, relaxing what they felt was, um, we used to feel just really strict requirements in order to find like, like a shiny penny, as opposed to recognizing that the softer skills mattered and that experience can be learned, right? So you might not have the most experience in the association space, but I've got my digital acumen. I'm I'm not afraid to to learn something new or to try something new, or maybe I have the, you know, the project and the process and the time management skills to make, you know, to make that difference. And so I, I think it's just really interesting to see how um, I think COVID has changed how we look at candidates and how I'm able to direct clients to think about candidates that they would not have considered three years ago. Well, and I want to pull on this start a little bit, because you're, you're hitting a few things and there's someone that I've known in, in this space that probably not many people listening to this podcast have probably heard of Cameron Harold, who's like the CFO whisperer. And he said, he says it's a lot of times where you hire the culture, but you train to technical competence. And it's and it's a framework of understanding what you were just talking about. And I think that this is, you know, something that associations have, if I were to guess, do a little bit better, perhaps on the private sector in some sectors, but it's hard to overgeneralize. But but it's that understanding of, you know, getting a really extraordinarily talented person, even if they don't check all of those, that whatever that long list of things is better than maybe somebody who checks all those things, but isn't, isn't a dynamic person because, you know, you, you can always train to those technical things, but, it, you know, it, having a really 
exceptional person on your team that just elevates things and, and you want them to be with you, that's worth its weight in gold sometimes. And so I think that that's perhaps something, you know, again, one of those under the radar trends that's harder to, to build out because how do you, how do you do that? And how do you maybe emphasize those soft skills and seek that kind of dynamic person out? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think it, 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 really changes right so you a lot of people are still doing virtual interviews i still recommend like a round fully virtual to test for certain things um and then having you know i, I guess it's, it's it's plausible to say that same person that excels virtually may not be as good in the room right i mean i know professionally like I feel like I look great from like the neck up, right? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not as confident, right? Like, co like COVID weight gain is 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 real. Like, there'd be less of me to see to meet if we had met three years ago. But no, that's actually very real, by the way. The average, the average person gained two point one pounds per month in the first year of COVID. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So we always hear about the freshman fifteen, but it was actually like the COVID thirty, right? Yeah. And so I, I think, um, you know, in, in terms of like soft skills, there's ways to test for that and to change the types of questions that you ask um, and not have them be so technically focused. Um, and again, you don't want to go too far in the other direction, but there's there's a way to, to do that. I always recommend, too, that you don't have to have like a static conversation. You know, hey, here's your here's your round one, which is you're having a virtual conversation your round two is, you know, in person and you have to do a, a presentation or something. All of that is fine. But I think there's I, I think it's important to have like one of the decision makers. I, I mentioned like that manager being all important to that person's experience and happiness. Having that one on one conversation, take them out to coffee if it's possible to kind of see if there's a connection and, and to get really a sense. Right. You know, there's the question can be asked both ways is, uh, around how did you experience COVID? Like, what is the greatest thing that you learned? How did, how did your work shift? Right. Yeah. And a lot of people did not know how to, to be flexible and to make that shift. And then there are other people that really leaned into the innovation. Like we just have to figure this out. This has to be different than it's ever been before, but there is a real expectation from candidates. And so when I say that they're in a position of power, it's not, it's not only just because they have a particular skill set, it's really because they have a particular set of needs, right? So I've never gotten asked so many detailed questions about benefits, mm -hmm. right? You know, like a lot of people don't understand them, right? The average person doesn't understand it. It's like, hey, medical dental vision, cool, right? A lot of people don't understand like co-pays, out-of-pocket costs, or they didn't have to think about it. And so it's really one of the ways that organizations can make a unique difference in terms of really celebrating their um, their culture, right? And so it's simple things like like building a mental health day in, into your plan, right? And even if you're taking from a floating day or you're taking from somewhere else and you're calling it a mental health day, right? And really allowing that person to have that. Um, I, I've been in conversations and conferences where a lot of employers have started to remove co-pays when it comes to mental health, just because it's one of those things that has become so necessary. People used to feel like very shameful about it, right? Or it used to be very private or felt like maybe your, your, you know, your job might be in jeopardy. Or, you know, like, you know, I, I work in a unionized environment now and, you know, it's a real thing. But more and more, 
people are so comfortable and, and younger people are so comfortable talking about their mental health and their needs. And it, and it ranges from, you know, you know, needing a life coach to needing like trauma therapy. And so to, you know, to remove that, that mental health copay, right. You're talking about 10 to $30, $40. I mean, off a $200 visit, like you're not, you're not really losing money. Right. Now you're, you're the finance whiz. So you, you, you check me on that. Right. But you know, you'd rather have people do that and get the therapy that they need and be a healthier employee, right? Work-life balance matters. The one caveat I, t- I tell people about, you know, working from home is that you work more, you work three hours more, right? You're not wasting time commuting. You're not work- wasting time in the office environment, um, you know, getting coffee, talking, lunch, you know I mean? It's all of it is different, right? Like it's kind of like, you know, 8.30 hits, you you sit down, you start working, right? It's it's not the same thing. You know, there there's, you know, some, it sometimes feels like, you know, in an office setting, people aren't really getting down to doing anything until they have that 10 o'clock meeting. Like you've literally wasted, you know, you know, 90 to, you know, to two, two, 90 minutes to two hours. So allowing people to say, I've put in my extra time and now I need this Friday for me, for my family. Um, and so organizations really need to find what their place is and what their comfort level is when it comes to work-life balance and, and the expectations around that. In the beginning of COVID, I was getting emails all times a day, all times a night, <laughs> right? It, it just felt like, why are, we, why are we talking? Why am I answering this at 10 o'clock at night, right? Because it was right there. It was right there. It, it wasn't something that you walked into the office in, into the next day. So, you know, I, I think there's there's lots that can be done and some of it is, is simple, not overly expensive, but impactful in terms of stating who you are and what your culture is today. You kind of gave some really good points and examples. And I think this is this is certainly something I know we uh, as a team have been emphasizing for a long time, but now really are almost like I don't say forcefully, but like, you know, very, very upfront trying to, to work with our clients to say, you know, it isn't about what you're offering to your employees. It's about how you're helping them interact with these benefits. And it's frankly, the people that support those probably matter as much, if not more than the benefits themselves. Because to your point, right? You know, nobody knows medical, dental, vision, all the stuff in network. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of stuff that is like financial ease. It's Greek. And Yet everybody wants to be able to have enough confidence to go into a, an appointment and kind of know what to expect when I hand them said card or this or that or what have you. Um, how do you navigate? You know, I, I will say working with the carriers as much as we do, there's been some great developments, providers of all kinds to really enhance and deliver so much value specific to mental health. It's just, you know, I think that there's probably so many avenues people can go down. You just don't even know, but that's a good thing. You know, I think that that having all of these options is helpful, but that's the thing. You know, how do you let people know? How do you create this culture of education about just letting you connect with what we're already doing for you so that way you just feel better about it? Because you said it best, right? Benefits are an extension and an enhancement of culture, but I think it also cuts the other way around. I think you can deliver benefits poorly and it erodes your value proposition. I would agree with that. Beyond that kind of like, oh, I have medical dental vision, who's my provider? You work with these carriers, you know, there is a lot of things embedded for free within these designs. 
whether it's a case manager, you know, Blue Cross will, you know, say they have this blue zone call, which is like nurse case management, just, and that, and that's driven through claims. That's, that's, you know, you being able to proactively call on your behalf, but people don't know about it. And so there is a call to action, right? Like, you know, in advocating for, for my profession, having a strong HR person, even if it's an HR person of one really does matter, right? There's going, there's a certain element of plug and play when it comes to benefits, right? If, Hey, there's no changes to your plan design. This is your, you know, this is your, your premium or, you know, you know, what have you. It's another thing to now pull those things out of the plan design and let people know, right? Here where I live, um, diabetes, type 2 diabetes is a huge problem. And you can you can lower your risk by 13% just by losing five pounds, right? And so, so what did we do? We started talking about it and we didn't stop talking about it. And then we started offering it on site. And then we also showed people where they could do it, you know, from their, like their own home. But that idea that wellness in action, right, is... It's an ongoing thing and and benefits are not just benefit. It is your it is your pathway to wellness and thinking about yourself from like a whole being perspective, right? Yeah. Um, and it just matters. It, it starts to me, it starts with your mental health and it it also starts with education and knowing. And I think there has to be a responsibility on the organization to highlight those hidden things that people just don't naturally know about. If you're not changing your plan, if you're not doing this, right, like why not pull it out? Why not make that engagement? Why not make time for people to take an hour out to take a, you know, a diabetes prevention class? So there's lots, like I said, there's lots of things that you can do. You just have to be willing to talk about it, engage and educate. And I I feel really strongly from a benefits perspective that if you're giving high quality benefits, right, you cannot make people feel guilty for that. Right. You can't like make them like if you if you treat people like a financial burden, they behave like one. Right. Mm. They go from not going to the doctor to showing up in, in the emergency room. Right. Instead of seeing the primary care, going through the process, getting a baseline, getting additional treatment. Right. And so I think there's an opportunity to celebrate benefits in a way that. You know, to me, like benefits is that like old stodgy industry, right? Within HR, like nobody wants to do it. And I think (laughs) it's incredibly fun because it does, you know, it can be used to drive culture, right? Especially when it comes to mental health programming, things like that in a way that we've not seen before. Um, I, I I would say that, you know, grief is another one, for example, that people have a really hard time talking about. And we are grieving, in so many ways, gr- grieving for the way our lives used to be, um, members, family members that we lost, our, what our lives used to look like. I'm certainly grieving <laughs> the way I didn't have, right? Like, I mean, all of these things, right? Um, but more and more people are willing to say, I'm having a hard time. And, and that's so special and that's so important. And it's, it's also a call to leadership, right? How are you going to handle that? How are you going to handle that? And you, you have to be ready to do that and you have to be ready to do it for yourself as a leader. That's so, so critical for people to hear that, um, mm-hmm. to create, you know, the right space. And that doesn't mean, you know, <laughs> you know, you walk the right line of, you know, you're not coming to somebody's priest and you're not stepping in as a therapist, but you do want there to be safety. Yeah. There should be safety. I, sh- you know, employees don't want to feel like there's a whole bunch of things that they just can't say, because that's never going to support anyone staying in a job for very long. And so just being able to know that there's that genuine care and consideration for the person, not the job description, you know, but the actual human being, I think you're right. Like that goes a long way. And, and, and yeah, just collectively, everybody recognizing like been through a lot, we all have. And it, yes, you know, there's a lot that's felt at a high level, but then there's also a lot that 
is very, very personal and individualized. So let's do things in a manner that recognizes and honors that because then in helping people heal and go back to being productive and being the great, you know, if I become an employer who emphasizes making sure that my employees show up as their best selves and I do whatever it takes to help them do that, man, who wouldn't want to work for you? Right. right. And just think about what you can actually get done. Right. And, and so I, I think it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a newer to the world parent, right? And toddler, I can't imagine what teenage parenting is like, but toddler parenting is like no joke. These kids are like terrorists. I mean, he is a little bully <laughs> and it's just all about pushing boundaries. And I, and I say that to say is that, you know, he, he models behavior, right? And my husband and I have a tendency to be on our phone. We're on our computer and it's after hours. It's this, it's that, right? Like it's go, go, go all the time. And here he is with his little toy keyboard. Oh, mommy, I'm working. I'm working, (laughs) you know, and, you know, they model behavior. And so if you don't have great leaders, you don't have great managers, your managers are modeling what they see the the leadership do. So you have to have a perspective, right? And, And I think we can learn from our staff and we can learn from our recruitment process and we can learn from when we lose people, how to be better. Right. And, and, and nothing and not everything can change overnight, but there has to be some ethic to want to at least understand and to change where you can and have a plan for change. Just the way you have a strategic plan for your business, you can have a strategic plan for your people. Man. OK, so we got to end on that because otherwise you and I are going to go on for two more hours. <laughs> I do enjoy you, Brian. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This was so good. I knew it was going to be this way. So I'm glad. So, yes, we'll end on that final point because that was fantastic. And I think we'll have to say this will be one of, you know, there'll be a next one as we build off of so much of what we covered. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or find you, how can they? Sure. So um, I am on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to reach me. Um, and Donnie is actually spelled D-A-M-Y. And I do have my my maiden name there. So Woojali, you got to sing it. You can't just say it. <laughs> it's not, I love it. It's not quite like the wine, um, but it's B-O-U-R. J-O-L-L-Y and um, the my married name is Smith. So Donnie Bougely Smith, I'll, I'll come up. I'll come awesome. up. Fantastic. Well, I, I, I hope to be back. I really, and I so enjoy talking to people who love to talk about HR and, and see it as a valuable and strategic part of an organization. So I really appreciate you incorporating this into your series because it really does make a difference. So thank you. Thank you, Donnie. No, it's been great having you. And yes, until next time. Appreciate cheers. it. All right, cheers. Bye. Information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Heaney is a registered representative and an investment advisory representative of Dempsey Lord Smith, LLC. Dempsey Lord Smith, LLC is not affiliated with the Heaney Company. Securities offered through Dempsey Lord Smith, LLC, member FINRA SIPC, Advisory services offered through Dempsey Lord Smith, LLC, a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor.